I am joyed to have, overjoyed to have Brother Robert Lloyd preach this morning. For those of you who don't know Robert, this was a relationship that began uh, many years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, because uh, I wasn't here, but uh, uh, between Kurt Lutchens, our, our former pastor, and Robert, uh, they had a dear friendship, as many of you know, and um, I'm pleased to say he's now a dear friend of mine, and a dear brother, and, and uh, love you and your family, and and grace and peace and new perfect peace have tried to continue this relationship through a lot of transition, a lot of difficulty, and it was really a joy to, to be together for Good Friday again this year. Um, but uh, when I asked Robert about coming to preach, he was happy to do so. So if you'd please welcome Robert and come bring us the word, brother. Good morning, grace and peace. It is indeed an honor to be here and worship with you, uh, and I've enjoyed the worship so far. And uh, before preaching, I do want to get some preliminaries out of the way and acknowledge my dear friend, uh, Mike Brandenstein. You know, what's, what's interesting about you, Mike, is, is you have a shepherd's heart, and you remind me so much of Kurt and how he would shepherd me and and uh, I think, you know, we, we live in an age where people are looking for pastors and not for preachers and not really pastors. I don't think we make that distinction often enough. But uh, people like Mike certainly uh, contrast the idea of preaching and pastoring because you are an excellent pastor. In fact, um, I get to see you pastor more than hear you preach. <laughs> so I want to thank you for our friendship. You and your beautiful wife, Christy, and your children. Um, also, I want to acknowledge some very dear people in my life who are visiting from Indiana. Dr. Adrian Simeon and his beautiful wife, Frankie, and, and Amarie, and, and AJ, and Avery. Uh, will you all wave your hands as well? Thank you all so much for being with us. <clears throat> and I dare not forsake to mention my beautiful wife, Nikki who's here with me this morning. And all of you lovely people here at Grace and Peace, so many of you I'm very acquainted with, and I'm honored to be here with you on this morning. I was telling a lot of my friends, I said, I'm preaching at Grace and Peace. It's a PCA church, and uh, you, you talk about intelligence and, and faithfulness to the scripture. That's one thing I love about the PCA. In fact, I've attended your General Assembly with Kurt, um, and I'll never forget that that trip. It was just a wonderful trip. I have a lot of respect for you guys, and thank you for allowing me this opportunity to speak to you this morning from the Holy Scriptures. The text I have comes from the book of Matthew, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13 down to verse 17. And it reads as follows. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to baptize me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you bless this time of preaching your word. I pray that not only your blessings will be upon it, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will empower me for the task of preaching. Also pray that while preaching, the hearts of your people will be stirred by the Holy Spirit as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. And we thank you. If I might borrow from the words of the Apostle Paul, let not my teachings be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of your spirit and your power. I'd like to also borrow from John who said, I must decrease that he might increase. And if I can also take from Psalms and say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are my strength, and you alone are my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As a Christian preacher, I'm often asked about the Trinity. People want to know what the doctrine of the Trinity means and how it can be found in Scripture. They're often surprised to learn that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. And yet, this doctrine is so central to the Christian faith that some would deem it impossible for a church to be called a Christian church if it does not affirm the Trinity. So as we will see in this sermon, although the term itself isn't in the Bible, we find the idea of God's oneness and threeness throughout the scriptures. In this sermon, what we'll focus on today is what Christian believe the Bible teaches about our triune God. The word Trinity simply means tri and unity. Three in one. So the doctrine of the Trinity can be defined in this way. God is three divine persons in one divine essence. The concept is also found in related terms, Trinitarian and triune God. Meaning that there are three persons. We say three who's and one what. Listen to what Dr. Tony Evans says about the Trinity. He said it can be viewed as a pretzel. A pretzel interlocks. Often you will see three holes in it. One hole represents the Father, one represents the Son, and one represents the Holy Spirit. They are distinct holes, but they intertwine to make one pretzel. 
The late Charles Spurgeon once said, any doctrine that hath not the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost as equal persons in one, undivided essence, we cast aside as being unsound. For we are sure that such doctrines must be derogatory to God's glory. And if, it, it, and if they be so, it is enough for us. What we're going to discuss today, as I aforementioned, is that this is a biblical term. This is a biblical idea that God is one, one in essence, three persons. And we're going to see this idea expressed in our text today found here in the gospel according to St. Matthew. With that, I see three thoughts that undergird the major idea of what I would call this sermon, the Blessed Trinity. What do we see in Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, 13 down to verse 17? We see the Blessed Trinity confirmed. Not only do we see the Blessed Trinity confirmed, we see the Blessed Trinity affirmed. So first we see the Blessed Trinity's confirmation. Secondly, we see the Blessed Trinity's affirmation. And then thirdly, the Blessed Trinity's application. I will begin by talking about the Blessed Trinity's confirmation. Look at verse 16 with me, if you will. And it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. What do we mean by confirmation? The word confirmation means that you are basically something you believe or suspect or fear. The confirmation shows that it is definitely true. So, because we believe and we suspect that there that God is a triune, we believe that this text confirms it. Some synonyms for this idea is, is to authenticate, to corroborate, to substantiate, to validate, and to verify. And from here, we plan to verify this from the Bible that we have confirmation. Look again at verse 16. It says very plainly that Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water and the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. There we see the Trinity. It is Jesus being baptized and the spirit who's descending and he and, and the father speaks from heaven. You see the Trinity confirmed? You see the three persons right there in that passage? We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. Now, I do know some, some who oppose this idea of Trinity, and what they say is because God is omnipresent, he can be in all places at the same time. We do believe that that is true, that God is omnipresent, but here's the challenge when you look at this text here in Matthew that confirms for us the Trinity, the Blessed Trinity. Take special notice of the fact that it says 
that when Jesus came up out or from the water, notice it says he saw the spirit. That he saw the spirit who was descending, watch, like a dove, and he rested on him. I think that closes the case. The fact that he saw him descending upon him. And then I also heard people say that perhaps this is referring to John the Baptist. But here is the challenge with that. It says he's, he came up out of the water. And you do remember that there was a discourse between John the Baptist and Jesus about who it was that would be baptized. So we know from the text that it was Jesus who was being baptized. And then the text goes on to say, and he saw the spirit descending like a dove, which is proof that it was not John, that it was Jesus. And then thirdly, it rested, the spirit rested upon him. And all of those context clues, as my wife always says, who's an English teacher, is we learn from the text and through the clues, the context clues, that it is Jesus who the Spirit rested upon. And I make the case there that the, that, that the Trinity is being confirmed in that passage. Now, I'm, I'm sure you would ask, well, Pastor Lloyd, are there other passages that confirm this idea? Thank you. I'm glad you asked that question. I would like to read a few of them for you. Here's one, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. Listen, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Son, and the love of God, Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There is the Trinity, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. Can I give you another verse? How about Ephesians 1 and 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through Christ. You see that? God and Father, Father of whom? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But there are more verses, you guys. How about 1 Peter 1 and 3? Blessed be the God and Father whose Father. Oh, the text answers the question of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm not finished. Colossians 1 and 3. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you didn't miss this. Ephesians 1 and 3. 1 Peter 1 and 3. Colossians 1 and 3. We've got three persons in all three passages. How about that? Hallelujah. Can I give you more? Let me give you a few more verses. How about Genesis 1 and 3? Right from the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God is Elohim. Elohim is a plural word like octopi is a plural word, like syllabi is a plural word. Guess what? Elohim is a plural word. It's right there in Genesis 
One and three. I mean, can I give you some more verses? How about this one? How about Genesis 3? Now man has become like one of us. Plural word. How about Genesis 1.26? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Plural personal pronouns. Genesis 1 and 3. Isaiah 6. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? You see? So this whole idea of the Trinity... It's confirmed throughout the scriptures. Need I say more about that trinity? Yes, because we're not only going to talk about the blessed trinity's confirmation, we're also going to talk about the blessed trinity's affirmation. Where do we talk about that? Where do we see it? We see it right here in our text, chosen text this morning from Matthew 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 17. Listen to what this text says. It says, oh, I jumped ahead of myself. Oh, affirmation, affirmation. Here it is. Look at verse 17. It says very plainly, he says, a voice came from heaven. The heavens opened up and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What is an affirmation? Affirmation is the assertion that something exists or is true. It could be written or it could be oral. But either way, it's an affirmation that something is true. Now, where do we get an oral affirmation? Oh, by the way, in a written affirmation, well, written in the scripture, oral, because it said the father spoke. And how did he affirm? He affirmed by simply saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father affirms, this is my son. What better witness could you have from the Trinity? Not one that is horizontal, but one that is vertical. One that descends from the clouds. One that comes from heaven and declares whether we like, you know, we like to say God's word is true. I believe it and that settles it. No, that's not what settles it, whether or not you believe it. (laughs) It settles it because God said it. And guess what? The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well Pleased. Now, I don't know if you caught this in or not, but we all would agree that the word beloved requires two objects. If it doesn't, that is, there is a more modern expression for <laughs> a love that doesn't have two objects, and it's called selfishness. Because whenever you say some thing is beloved, that thing is the object of someone else's affection. And what he's saying in this verse is that the father is the one who has the son as his object of affection. So when you read that, he says, this is my beloved son, is the father saying, not only is this my son, But my son has the love of the father. The father has affection for the son. 
This is my beloved son. He is affirming for everybody, whether you like it or not, whether you're, whether you're a Jehovah Witness, Muslim, God is saying, I don't need you to agree with me. This is my son, not Muhammad, not Buddha. This is my son. Can the church say amen? amen. <laughs> now, now, now watch this. Not only do we see that here, but we also see the father affirming the son in other places in scripture. But let me give you one that I'm impressed with. And that is found in the book of Hebrews in chapter one. Why do I love Hebrews chapter one so much? Is because we know that those, that audience was being tempted to forsake Christ, abandon Christ and go back to their former way of living, which was Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews sends them a letter to encourage them, and he's saying, don't forsake Christ because he is far better. Don't forsake him. Don't abandon Christ for those Old Testament features. He fulfills all of that stuff. Don't you know Christ is better? Well, then, how is he better? Well, the writer's going to tell us that, how Christ is better than all the Old Testament features. And how does he do it? He does it by comparing the two. Well, what are some of the major features of the Old Testament? I'm glad you asked that question. Some of the major features are the prophets. Well, how is he better than the prophets? Well, he tells us that. He says, in, in, he said, in, in former times, uh, God spoke to our fathers, plural, through the prophets, plural. But here's how Christ is better. In these times, He's spoken to us, plural, through, watch, his son, singular. So what all the prophets did, they prophesied of him, but he came and he doesn't speak on behalf of God because that's what prophets did. They spoke to them on behalf of God. He doesn't come to speak on behalf of God. He speaks as God. So now he's spoken in son. So he doesn't come to speak as a mediator between man and God in, in, in this sense. He brings God to them. He's better than a priest. He sat down. But then he targets the angels. Why? Because it is believed that angels were the one who delivered the laws to Moses. And so he targets the angels and he says, <laughs> they're next. <laughs> To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you. D did he ever say to the angels, you are my son? Of course not. The father is affirming. And here is the greatest, and I want you to hear me. This, this is, he takes it a little step further. And he says, your throne, oh God. That ought to blow your mind. Because he not only calls him son, but he also goes a step further and affirms him by calling him God. You see that? It's right there in Hebrews chapter 1. So we see this deep affirmation, by the way, just in case you say, well, is it in the Old Testament? By the way, that verse in Hebrews 1, 
is taken from Psalms 2. So it's all throughout the scriptures. The father is saying, this is my son. But in chapter 1, in case you get it twisted, he's called God. Wow. To move through, not only do we see the blessed Trinity's confirmation and the blessed Trinity's affirmation, but we also see the blessed Trinity's application. To get this, you have to look back at verses 13 down to verse 15. Listen carefully. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have said, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. What do we mean by when I say application? Uh, I have to be honest, I learned this in church that when you're preaching, well, I have to also give credit to Dr. Brian Chappell over at Covenant, that when you're preaching, um, application just kind of gives you an idea of what you and I should to take home from this text. And I see it right there in verse 13. He says, listen carefully, he says, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? That's, of course, John. Jesus asked him, let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. First thing that I, 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 jumped off the page for me is, is, is it reminded me of when Jesus wanted to wash the feet of, you all remember who it was? Peter. Remember, Peter was like, oh, oh no, Lord. You know why they had this challenge? Because they understood him, him as the greater. And they felt that the lesser should serve the greater. But Jesus understood that true greatness was service. And so <laughs> he it, it, it just blows me away that he totally s- submitted himself to our human experiences. What, what, what are we learning? What is the deeper meaning in this text? Look at what he says. This is why I need to be baptized by you is to fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean by righteousness? It is an important concept in Matthew. It's mentioned so many times. If I can give you one example, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter or see the kingdom of God. I'm sure you all remember that passage. Here's the problem with that. Who lived more righteously than the Pharisees? The Pharisees were considered like the righteous ones. People would look and say, how is that humanly possible to live like the Pharisees? You remember Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. I mean, the Pharisees were the guys. It's kind of like, What is the epitome of St. Louis? Right? So uh, Pharisees were like the epitome of righteousness. So to say that I have to have more righteousness than them, how is that humanly possible to have more righteousness 
than the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees, here's the challenge. Paul picks it up in Romans. The Pharisees had a righteousness. But guess whose righteousness the Pharisees had? Paul calls it, in Romans 10, a righteousness of their own. See, when your righteousness is simply that, your own righteousness, right, it it does not meet God's righteous requirement because you're incapable of meeting God's righteous demands. But here's the deal. Spurgeon calls this Christ's active obedience, the active obedience of Christ. So the reason Christ was being baptized, not because he needed righteousness, but it's because we (laughs) needed righteousness that would exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And so when they heard that their righteousness had to exceed that of the Pharisees, they should have fallen at the feet of Jesus and said, I don't, I can't meet that requirement. Meet that requirement for me. That's our application. Is when Christ needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. It was not his righteousness that needed to be fulfilled. It was Robert's. It was Mike's. It was yours. It was hers. Those people in the grocery store, those people on your job, your family, you'll see some of them tomorrow for barbecue. They are the ones who needed righteousness. I like the way Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, he who knew no sin became the sin that you and I might be made what? righteousness. I love the way Paul says in Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. What brought animosity? No righteousness. Now there is peace as a result of righteousness and it comes through Christ. Paul picks it up in Ephesians 2. It is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the application, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters. I'd like to uh, lay a couple things on your heart. One from Psalms 24, verse 3, it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. (laughs) Who makes your heart pure? Who makes you clean? Christ. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle you clean. Here's another, what I consider a great application. It's found in John chapter 17. Listen to this very carefully. It says, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you hear that language? He's saying, Father, we're one. My prayer is that they'll become a part of this as of us as we are. And then the world says... Look at those white, black, Chinese, uh, Asian, all these people worshiping together in a world that's so divided. Look at, watch this, look at the diversity and the unity. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the Trinity? And I leave you with this doxology as I close, found in Jude, who said, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, now and forever. Amen. Thank you.